1: Where you want to be might be a little hard to get there. And more people are going to tell you it's impossible because most people live in fear. Fear is not a skill. A six-year-old can feel fear, right? The skill is learning how to connect the dots between where you want to be and where you are now. It's like going to the gym. If you strengthen that muscle and stay around, try to find other people who are also dreamers because that's your tribe, right? And, and it won't seem quite as hard.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am very, very excited today. We have a great show, part two of Tyrone Jackson If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter. Or you can subscribe or hit me up on Facebook or any of the social media pages or BarryKatz.com. And I'll be glad to get back to you as soon as I possibly can. If you're listening to the podcast on a regular basis, thank you for pressing that subscribe button. If you're new and coming here for the first time, I really appreciate you subscribing. To not just this, but any platform, it really helps. And I'm very grateful for all of your support. You have no idea. It's just so, so humbling. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as I look at Tyrone Jackson and I hang around this beautiful, beautiful office building with the studios and the equipment and the staff that are wonderful I just can't think about the possibility of having so much adversity growing up, not knowing where you're going to live the next day, knowing you only get to see your mother a certain amount of times, knowing that if you need anything financially, you're told you can't have it. We have no money over and over and over again. And to be able to push through all that uncertainty, and all that inconsistency and that lack of stability and focus on what moves you as a young person. In his case, it was entertainment and it was in front of the camera, but he also liked being behind the camera. And to be able to work your way up and find the information at a time when it wasn't the information age at a time when the only information you had was the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it's certainly doubtful that in his household he had it. I mean, this guy had no stability. He thought he knew who his father was, but was it? He thought he knew his mother was there all the time, but was she? No. He thought he was staying with a certain family for a certain time, But then it ended, and there was a new family. So much inconsistency, but he pinpointed his goal, and his goal was, hey, let me get into the New York High School of Performing Arts, the fame school. This is a place where they accept maybe a little under 200 people a year. But he figured out a way to get in. And he rose through the ranks there and became great. And that way, when he got out in the world to do what he wanted to do, he started creating relationships based on his talent and his tenaciousness. And then he started booking roles, commercials, TV, film, with Academy Award-winning actors and actresses. And then he moved on and kept figuring out different ways to branch out. And when things weren't working out as well as he wanted them to in the acting world, it didn't bother him. And if it did bother him, I don't think anyone noticed because he just transitioned into other things that were tied into media and entertainment using formulas that he used as an actor. But instead he used them to create several brands including the multi-million dollar digital platform, The Wealthy Investor, where he now goes all over the world. This morning, he's flying to Maui to do a seven-day seminar out there. He tied it into entertainment, got it on the internet, the videos, the audio, and that funneled things for him to be able to see that formula and be able to go and create other companies that were incredibly successful including the newest, which is going to be the biggest probably of all time that he ever does, the Digital Podcast Network, which is going to focus on African-American and Latino audiences. And with the business model, the way he has it and how he's starting it, and he's already started creating shows and creating content and amassing it. And when this thing launches, it's going to be bigger than you can ever imagine. And I think the key here that I see is if things are tough in any point of your career and you're just in a situation where there's no stability that you can ever see anywhere in the future, figure out what stability you have inside yourself and hold on to that tight and then take the models of success that you've used in other areas when you face that adversity, where you've succeeded. Similarly to how he did it. It's a situation where no matter what's happening around you, you stay calm, you stay focused, and you keep your goal in front of you. And you don't let anything distract you no matter how difficult it is. And if you can figure out a way to do that, which is a very, very difficult task, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Tyrone Jackson has.
1: Harry, Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's
0: do this. Tell our audience the first time you went the audition, you thought you kicked ass and they said, thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> right. don't let the door hit you on the way out. That was
1: pretty much every audition I went on after for a little while.
0: And then. How'd you get your groove back? How did you know that it was a slump and it wasn't your talent?
1: Because I had studied show business. I was like, you start talking to older actors who've been around for a while. They're like, this is how the game goes. If you just keep showing up and you keep being excellent, like what they used to say was like, your number's going to come up. So just keep going to be excellent. And then at least at that point was it wasn't like, oh, my God, a couple of jobs. Now I should, you know, I'm excellent. It was like I need more training. Right. So then that's when I started taking classes. But I only took classes for comedy, improv comedy, by the way. Like, I realized, like, a sense of humor is not enough. Like, that is a skill. Like the groundlings. Exactly. And there was a version, or UCB. There was a version in New York, this small little theater company called The First Amendment. Of course. Do you know them? Yes. Barbara Contardi? Of course. So, like, because now I'm starting to find, like, wow, there's happiness in life if you really, like, I'm empowered for happiness. A buddy of mine, and I don't mean to name drop, but I just have to give all the respect in the world. A buddy of mine named Bill Sharlap. who's now a Grammy award-winning
0: musician, right? Yeah,
1: his father wrote Peter Pan, by the way. These are people I went to high school with. He says, you're really funny. You should learn how to perform as an improv person, because I know I didn't want to do stand-up, right? And he goes, I work at this comedy club on the weekends.
0: What was the comedy club? First Amendment. And Uh, he goes,
1: I think I could get you in. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I got my mother used to, this is the other thing, my mother used to make me dress up for school. Like I had to wear shoes and always be presentable and the whole thing. And I had to, in the, in the fall, I had to wear a trench coat. I don't know who, you know, what 16-year-old's in a trench coat. What am I going to run? A Fortune 500 company or
0: something? Either that or a 16-year-old flasher.
1: <laughs> exactly. So we go down after school and he says, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Barbara. He goes, just be you. Just be you, right?
0: <laughs> the running theme. So
1: we go down, and uh, he goes, uh, I told Barbara you coming. And he goes, because he was the piano player at the club at 17. He was always brilliant. So he goes, uh, Barbara, this is my friend Tyrone I keep telling you about. And I'm like, hi. She goes, come over here. Sit down. I said, OK. She goes, Bill says you're funny. I was like, yeah, you know, I go to PA and so on and so forth. She goes, well, these are how much the classes cost. And I was like, well, my mother, we don't really have any money. She goes, OK, I'll tell you what. I'll give you free classes. And this is my favorite part of the story. You, if you sweep up, right, and you run the bar for our real shows, which is just pouring drinks. And she goes, and, and then after you do the bar, you run upstage and you do the lights for the real performers. She goes, I'll give you free classes. And I was like, okay. She goes, cool, start sweeping up. I was like, are you serious? I was so excited to be sweeping up a comedy club. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because it was like, at least I was in. We come. we have no money, right? Nobody in show business. But I'm like, I can't believe I'm sweeping the floor and comedy goes on here.
0: It's one of my favorite lines that Larry King told me in his interview. Which is what? Kid, when you're in, you're in.
1: I swear to you, that's how I felt. Because I was like, if you could just get in, like, at least you're in the game. You're around people who are working on sketches. I was so happy to sweep the floor. People are like, you're sweeping the floor. I'm like, but in a real comedy club. And then it's I like
0: would, a McDonald's commercial, get it, a bucket and mop. It
1: was. And then, <laughs> and then so on Friday nights, like I would sweep up before the audience came. I'd have to go to the supermarket, buy the drinks, right? Pour the drinks. And then it would go, Showtime. We got a show coming. But then I would run up and I would work the lights. Do you know how happy I was? You know why? Because I had a shot, Barry. I was in. Now that I'm in, and this is what I've learned throughout my career. Now that I'm in, now what do I do? Like, how do I play this? But I'm in. Sweeping the floor. And I learned so much.
0: All right, so what happens next? What do you consider to be the biggest break of yours as an actor?
1: Well, there were, I think there's, there, there was a lot of them, but I never did anything really big. But I could tell you the movie to this day, that will not go away. So my agent calls one day, and I'm thankful it will not go away. So um, I, I, I always said if I was ever in a talk show, I'd tell this quick story. I, the big show at the time There's was no the Cosby Show. There's no quick
0: stories. Here. There's
1: no quick stories? Keep okay. going. All right. So the Cosby Show was the biggest thing. And now I'm in college, right? And, and it was like the biggest thing. It was purely a hit. And I was like, I'm going to be on the Cosby Show. Because anybody who was on Cosby at that time, like you got other gigs. You just watch other people progress. So I go in and I rock every audition that I ever do for the Cosby show. Because I learned not to be too big and how to fit in the camera and the whole thing. And I'm never chosen. And I auditioned 13 times. You know Tom and Marcy Warner?
0: Tom Warner was a guest on the podcast. Okay, One of my first guests, owner of the Boston Red Sox. I
1: used to walk in. This is how many times they saw me. I would walk in he goes, hey, Tyrone, how's it going? (laughs) I was like, it's going well. Like, this is my eighth time. I'm back again. He goes, no, 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 I know. They never hired me. That's that's just show business, right? So can you imagine on the 12th time when you walk in? Hey, Tom, how are you? Tyrone, where you been? I've been waiting for you to hire me. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) And they never hired me, okay? So my big dream never happened. But I get a call from my agent one day and he goes, Listen, Warner Brothers is doing this movie called Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman. And he's the principal who turns the school around. And he goes, they don't have a script written, but they're looking for somebody who's funny to be like the class clown. And I was like, OK. Now, I am 22 years old in my third year psychology student. And I got to go be an inner city kid. So I was like, OK, so, you know, don't use any big words when you go in there. So and so forth. So. Um, the casting director, because I have done so much improv, the casting director sits down and goes, we don't really have a scene, but this is a scene where he is flirting with a girl in, um, in a cafeteria. I was like, no problem.
0: First Amendment training came into there play. There you go. But...
1: And the casting director, I remember while I'm doing this improv and trying to sound like this kid in, in the city community, he turns my resume over and he goes, can you come back Thursday? I was like, yeah. Now I've been through the ropes. I knew how it goes. So finally they come back. You know, I do four callbacks, and they were like, "It was a directed by a guy named John Avildsen, who directed Rocky." So John had seen me, and when you know, you know how it is when you're doing comedy for like corporate types, right? So I'm in my audition, getting ready for the screen test, and John, they bring they bring me in. And they go, Tyrone, this is John." John, and John was like, he was a little short guy. He's just sit there, and go, suck his teeth all the time. We go, "Uh huh." Uh, let's do the scene again and um, do another thing that's funny. And I'm like, okay. So I do the scene and he goes, okay, uh, we need all the kids to come in and read with Morgan Freeman. Can you come back on Thursday? And I was like, yeah. Now we're going to go out to Jersey and all that. And all these famous people are auditioning for this movie. And um, so finally we come back And um, I I had a human communications exam on the day of the screen test. And I I didn't realize everybody wasn't in show show business. And I go to this professor and I go, hey, man, I got a screen test on Thursday. I can't make the exam. And this guy looks at me of like, of all the lame excuses I've ever heard, you have a screen test? Because I guess they're used to people in the real world going, my dog ate my homework or whatever. He goes, "Uh, you just want to skip out of the exam? "Yeah, yeah, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
0: So you go into the audition. You prepare. Are you off book, or do you have the sides? There's no
1: book. They're like, you're the class clown. When we ask oh, you, to so
0: just improv something. Yes, and then, okay. And how many people are waiting to go on? And you're watching all of them try to be funny.
1: Well, the this is the thing that I've discovered. The bigger the movie, the more relaxed everybody is. So they were like, first of all, let's introduce you to Morgan Freeman, right? Before you do the scene, and you got to know Morgan to know how he is. I had seen him, because now I'm an artist, right? I had seen him a month before at Lincoln Center performing something, and a friend of mine knew him. And they were like, let me introduce you to Morgan Freeman. He was just coming up. He had gotten the Oscar nomination. I shook his hand. So I figured, like, the worst thing you could do in Hollywood. When I meet Morgan, I'm like, I met you last month backstage at Lincoln Center. And Morgan Freeman looks at me and he goes, so? And I was like, well, this this (laughs) is— if i get this part we're gonna be there for three months this is a good way to start
0: what did you say when he said so
1: i was shocked because you know most celebrities they're like hey nice to meet you and okay we're gonna do the scene together he was just like so silence i was like wow this is not how i saw this working out so we play the scene i do it they were like tyrone do something else when he asks you to blah 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 and i you know comedically do something that's kind of like in the context of the whole thing and they were like great and it's clear when you're getting close and where they take us all back to a van in new york city drop us off and you guys will find out blah blah blah. and this is my favorite line of anything i've ever done creative the casting directors in the thing and i'm like are we all like the final selections he, and the casting director goes i can't say that because i'm not allowed he goes let's just put it to you this way it's between you and eddie murphy now do you know how good that feels When you're coming up like that.
0: Wait, the guy said it's between you and Eddie Murphy. Yeah.
1: Because I can't say. Did you
0: see Eddie Murphy there? Was he being offered the role?
1: No. It was just a 22. I guess he was trying to compliment me like you did well.
0: You think it was a compliment or the truth? It was a
1: compliment to me. I don't know how he meant it, but I was just like to say me, Eddie Murphy, anything. I'll take it. Got it. And, you know, there are many steps along the way, but that movie has done so well. It's 30 years now. People still come over to me and go, can I take a picture with you? That's one of my favorite movies. Like being in the movies is very powerful.
0: Tell the audience the name of the
1: movie. again. It's called Lean On Me and it's on HBO of every weekend because it's just at the end. You know, It's directed by the guy who directed Rocky. So it's just such a feel good movie, you know.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was sweet. But it's only one step along the way. You haven't made it. It's just one movie. You got a decent paycheck. And artist, all that.
0: So tell our audience when you decided, as an artist, that you've always dreamed, this is what you've always dreamed to do. Mm-hmm. It's been your complete focus. Tell our audience what happens 24 hours before you come to the conclusion. And up until when you come to the conclusion and right after, hey, I thought I had what it took to be a star in this business. I thought I had what it took to be great and make money for my craft, but I can't make it like this anymore. I've got to do something else. What happened? It wasn't that I could. I
1: was doing commercials. I was doing voiceovers. And something came over me that was like, I don't want to do this
0: so 24 hours before that, mm-hmm. tell our audience approximately mm-hmm. what you are making a year as a voiceover commercial guy, on-camera commercial guy, actor, film and television and plays a year. Between seventy dollars and $100,000. Got it. So you're making seventy dollars to $100,000 My year. family, I'm rich. And you have your <laughs> own place?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a beautiful apartment in a place called Manhattan Plaza.
0: Got it. it. Mm-hmm. Great.
1: I know Manhattan. Can I just tell you a funny story? Right below me was Larry David and Kenny Kramer. You know Kenny?
0: Of course.
1: Yes. And I would see them in the elevator. Because, you know, if you live in Manhattan Plaza, so they would live right below me. So Seinfeld is based on living in Manhattan Plaza. They were one flight below me. It was great.
0: And Kenny Kramer, of course, the real Kenny Kramer. He does tours in New York. He was what the character of Michael Richards was based on. He's like
1: the nicest guy. I could see Kenny to this day. He goes, where you been, you know?
0: So Seinfeld used to come there all the time? All the time. You saw him all the time, too, coming in. You see
1: everybody there. Yeah. And I had made enough of a living so that I could live in this federally subsidized housing. But anyway, so it started to get really glorious.
0: When's the first time you actually went to see Larry and Jerry at a comedy club? Well, they were never Larry and Jerry. They were just the guys you'd see in the laundry room. So you never saw Jerry in a comedy club.
1: No, you would. I, I'd see them more in the laundry room, going, "When are you going to be done?"
0: <laughs>
1: you, you're not thinking of. People All right, in so you, but
0: you have a nice apartment. You're making money now. Mm-hmm. You're out of your mom's house. Mm-hmm. You're in control of everything. Yes, and you're making good money. What happened to make you say, I don't like this anymore? I don't know. You don't know. Something. You have to know. I don't know. It was just a feeling of like,
1: I this doesn't feel right anymore, which was
0: But weird. something has to happen where it doesn't feel right anymore. It just felt like it wasn't right. Was it because of how you perceived your talent and where you could go? Or was it just the business? Or was it like, I don't like this anymore?
1: As corny as this is going to sound. It was some kind of spiritual shift, which I didn't understand at the time, which I now understand.
0: Got it. Okay, so if you understand the spiritual Mm -hmm. thing now, Mm -hmm. explain to our audience what that spiritual shift is.
1: I, I, uh, I was up for two TV series in L.A. And I had come out to L.A. for a little while. And in both those instances, shows that went off the air, it was me and the other guy. So it it came down to the two of us. And in both instances, they went with the other guy. And I said, well, I'm going to go back to New York and do this voiceover thing. Also, I didn't like L.A. because I felt like it wasn't you can come out here and lose yourself. So just something started to happen that was just like, I need to discover who I am on the inside. I don't know why, but like just show business as I was doing it was just not enough. And I just began to wonder, like, who am I as like a being, as a spiritual being? And I, I just started to take yoga classes and meditate because that thing that I was so deeply connected to didn't feel right anymore. And I guess now I think of it so as kind of like a, like a rebirth, right? And oddly enough, what came out of that was like, I don't own anything like I'm in this industry and I'm knocking on doors and getting answers and I'm getting calls and I'm having all the ups and downs that everybody has. But that is not satisfying to me. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be the person who owns the entity. So I don't want to just be in the movies like who owns the movies today. We call it content who owns that content. And that's where this whole thing, and it took two years of like, you know, people stop you in the street. How come you're not in the movies anymore? It's like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not. I'm just feeling like something different. And ultimately what came out of that is like, you see all these years that you put in, you should be the one creating this content, writing the scripts, approving them, working with performers and owning them, owning the things
0: that you create. All right. So what's your first step to doing that? The first company, the first venture Mm -hmm. that you decide, okay, I'm going to go for this. And how much of your own money do you invest in getting it started?
1: All right. This is going to be one of those stories. It's like, come on, man, you totally made this up. Psychic lines. I I went to a seminar, right? And they were like, do you know how much money psychic lines make? Now I had been reading commercials all this time. And they were like, don't worry, we have the psychics at this thing called the Service Bureau. All you have to do is buy the time, right, design the ads, and we take a cut of what you make. I was like, hey, man, that sounds like like me. Only actors would really understand this. So I buy three psychic lines from this company. And I go home and I start writing ads because I knew how to write ads because of all of my commercials I had read. I put it in this nice packet. My lines go live. I start calling newspapers and buying ads, and then I'm I'm. But making
0: who were they money. calling?
1: They were calling the service bureau that actually had the psychics. So got if it. I charged three ninety nine, the service bureau got half, and then every month they would send me a check. Uh,
0: <laughs> and I was like, so you cut your ad. How much is the investment to get started? A thousand dollars. Okay, you put a $1,000 investment in, you go, you cut the ads, yeah. and you get paid every week, every month. What every happened? month they send you a all check. All right, so the first check you got that month was how much? $690. So you're out $310. Yeah, after I'm doing the first all right. Month. It's like
1: it's starting to happen. All right, yeah. second month, what happens? Second month, it went to 900 bucks. But you have to pay 1000
0: every month, right?
1: No, 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 no. It was 1000 to buy the lines they were 900 numbers. Yeah. And then there was some little management fees, but I was getting what was left over. So I would look at what I spent on ads and then that time. And then it would like But
0: how much per ads per month did it cost? Well,
1: I was in the class because they taught you how to do it in classifieds.
0: Got it. So classifieds are less.
1: Oh yeah, you would buy 13 weeks
0: for $130. Got it. So when was your first big check?
1: Well, not never got big. It never made past 1400 because <laughs> because the service bureau went out of business. I was like you guys had psychics you didn't see that you
0: <laughs> you, didn't see that you were not going to make it. All right, what's your next venture after that? Okay,
1: so then after that internet marketing, internet the internet started coming where you could, you know, log on and all that. And uh, I created a website for actors called workinginshowbiz.com. And I I don't know how I wrangled all these news, New York City casting directors to have columns there. I paid them $100 per story. And it was a subscription-based website. Because I was like, oh, my God, this internet, you could own everything and you could make money. So I started looking for things to own. And then the internet started to get faster and faster and faster. I started because my father was still alive at the time. And then I started real estate. I was like, oh, you're supposed to do real estate because that's what everybody says— like, if you really want, because, oh, and that was the other thing. I always wanted to be rich, right? So I started buying real estate off of an infomercial. Everything I ever did was because I saw something on TV, right? So I bought this guy's books and tapes. I bought a piece of real estate and
0: I. What a, guy's books and tapes? Uh, Ed something or other. So you bought real estate, but how did you have the money to buy real estate? Because
1: I had saved some money from commercials. I wasn't
0: stupid. How much money did you have in the bank? Then? I
1: had about uh, I had about twenty five thousand dollars ahead in my savings, and then I went and took a loan from a credit union,
0: and I had fifty thousand. Fifty thousand total. No. So seventy five thousand. All right. The first property you buy, where is it? What do you buy? It's
1: in um, uh, two ninety five Greenwich Street. Uh, Tribecca was before nine eleven, and I pull a buddy of mine in. And he was raised by a single mom, and he wanted to be rich. I was like, "We need to go into real estate together." And we buy this thing.
0: How much money did he have to put in?
1: uh I don't remember, but he had saved too. What do you buy? We buy a condo at two ninety five Greenwich Street. How much was it? Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
0: And what did you have to put down? Ten percent. Twenty five thousand. We had it. Got it. So then you fix it up? Mm-hmm. No, it was brand new. We didn't need to fix it up. Okay. So then you sell it for how much?
1: Well, it bombs.
0: What do you mean it bombs?
1: We can't afford to keep it because we didn't do the math right. We had the mortgage payment and the and the maintenance. So we were losing money every month, but we didn't know. We were just so excited. We were like, we're going to be millionaires. Right. <laughs> but we didn't do math. Right. But weren't you trying to just sell it right away? No, because we figured we'd hold on to it and
0: rent it out. So what did you sell it for?
1: Uh, Well, he sold me his half for a dollar.
0: Right. Why for a dollar? Because he
1: ran out of money. He didn't have any to pay the maintenance.
0: Okay. So now you have the whole thing.
1: Now I have the whole thing. And now I can't make the payments. This is what happens. So you couldn't sell it? No. So I went back to the developer who was holding the mortgage. I was like, "Uh, do you guys want this back? And they like, we would keep all of the money. And I was like, that's fine. I, it's called a surrender. I couldn't have done it with a bank, but I did it because the developer was holding me. So work.
0: your first project you went into, you lost $12,500. I lost million. a lot more than t- I lost everything I had. Your whole savings, Gone. everything?
1: Gone. Because I was going to be rich in real estate.
0: So now what do you do? You have to pay your rent at your place at the plaza. Yeah. yeah I, it was hard. It was hard. What did you do? Well, when you grow up, this is the thing, when you grow up with very little,
1: you're like, well, i already been down there. So what's the next thing? The psychic thing didn't work out. And I go see my father, who's now in his 80s, because I used to go see him and talk to him more constantly. And he goes, you know what you should do? You should um, trade and invest in the stock market. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I think I just have a feeling you'd like that more than you would real estate.
0: But you don't have any money to do that. Well,
1: I know. But you, when you have no money, you figure things out. I was like, OK. So, how much do you think I need in the stock market? He goes, well, you need at least $10,000. I was like, $10,000? I just lost all this money in real estate. So I go back. I do mine. I'm doing commercials still, even though I'm in this weird phase. And long story short, um, I read in Black Enterprise magazine, they were like, hey, there's a brokerage firm that, You just have $500. You can be in the stock market. I was like, well, I have $500. So I go down to this firm. Right. Because I was always I always like to read about money and rich people and like how they did it, how they got it and all that. So uh, I had a subscription to Black Enterprise magazine. I found this brokerage. I called them. I was like, I have five hundred dollars. Could I open a brokerage account? This is when Internet trading started. They were like, yeah. I was like, I'll be down there on Tuesday. I gave them my five hundred dollar check. They were like, do you want to place a trade today? My father. Oh, this is the other thing. My father goes, I'm going to get you some books and tapes. It's all off of TV because you're going to learn how to trade in the stock market. I did my first trade Barry, I made $50. I was like, this is me. And so I constructed a plan where of like if I just put in $1,000 a month, like now I could, I believe I could I believe I could build this to a million dollars. $50
0: off of just a 10% return. increase return. You said to yourself, I think I can make this into a million dollars. Because,
1: see, here's the thing. Like, when you fail a lot, you learn what not to do. And so I was like, you could either sit around here and be like, oh, the real estate thing didn't work out and the psychic line shut down. But I was like, but you have to try. So I started to put more and more money in the brokerage account. I gave up some things, like no vacations and all that. And I started trading And initially, I wasn't that good at it, and I lost money. And then I figured it out. I'm like, this is my game.
0: What did you figure out? Patterns. Or the
1: patterns? The patterns was like when a stock was going up, like I could tell why it was rising, and I could make a projection about where it was going. Because a stock can only do one of three things, go up, go down, and stay the same. And I got good at seeing that same pattern. And I'm like, if I keep doing this, I could make hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it.
0: All right. So take our audience through when things started taking off in this department. Within six months.
1: I was just, that game was created for me. I was created for that game. All
0: right. So six months in, you'd invested how much in this? St- I had deposited probably about $60,000. You gave them $60,000? No, no,
1: no. It's, you're an independent trader. So they're not managing your money. You're just putting it in the an account. And you well, have you said you
0: went down there with $500. To open the account. Oh, they charge you $500 to open. No.
1: All I needed was $500 just to put the money in the account and start trading. Because this is when that trading revolution started happening. Like the internet changed everything.
0: So in six months, you put in about $10,000 a month. Where did you get $10,000 a month to put in? I was
1: still doing commercials. And I was making money off my trades. So I started compounding.
0: You lost everything. You got a few jobs and you culled $500 together and said, I want to open the account. A trading account. You're barely paying your rent. Right. You have eliminated all the frills. So I want our audience to understand how you go from your living check to check. Right to six months later, you got $60,000 in the okay, So I skipped the part. So here's what happened,
1: right? Because I got so hooked on Wall Street. I was like, because I was one of the legal voices of McDonald's. I got really good at voiceovers, by the way.
0: A legal voice? What's yeah, a that legal voice, voice that comes
1: on at the end of the commercial and goes, void were prohibited by law. Prices <laughs> may vary. I participate in McDonald's. So the advertisers were like, get Tyrone Jackson in here. He could read that legal stuff really good. I'm still going through like, do I really want to do this? But I never walked away from the voiceovers because I had developed a little bit of a reputation in New York as being like a good copy reader. Even though I was like, why am I doing this and going through this shift? You know, in show business, you don't give up something when it's in hand. So what happens is people kept saying to me, "Um, how do you get in the voiceovers? I started a class. I forgot to mention that. So I had printed out some paper, got some business cards, and I was just passing around to all my other friends at auditions. I teach. If people keep bugging you, tell them to call me. And that business gave me $50,000, right, in teaching. And I was only working four hours a week at a place I rented. And then I was doing, at the time, demo tapes for people. Because, you know, like when you're poor and you're hungry, you just go, how can I figure this out? Now, I'm living in New York City in one of the most abundant cities in the world, and I'm like, there's money here. And I realized through teaching, I could get money to get in the stock market.
0: Got it. So in the first six months of the stock market, mm-hmm. you made how much? I don't know how much I made, but
1: I know my account was back up, $60,000, $70,000. And Got I was it. like, because also in the spiritual awakening, I learned about manifestation,
0: We'll tell our audience about manifestation.
1: So I learned that my thoughts and my belief systems will ultimately determine how much money and success I have. That, like, if I engage in a belief system that was progressive, if you will, I can manifest almost anything in my life. And in the universe, there's no such thing as time. So most people go, in six months, you did what? I was like, yeah, because there's no time. So, like... I started getting these extraordinary results. And then I realized I had to detach from everything that I believed, and I just embraced this system a little bit more. And so, like, sometimes when you hit bottom, it's the start of something big. And once I had that belief system, then things started on this upward spiral.
0: Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to BerryCats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so it's incredible it turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly it saves you thousands and thousands of dollars it gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have and your trash thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these everybody loves it not one complaint it's incredible I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor i don't know what the air inside your house is like but the air inside my house it feels heavy at times before i got this product And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600, and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. When's the first time that you actually say to yourself, I'm never looking back again. There's never going to be a point in time where I look in my bank account. There's nothing. There's never going to be a point in time where I'm struggling.
1: Uh, it it happens in waves. Um, I cried a lot for a long time. And I was really essentially crying away the sadness that I felt. About everything that happened to me.
0: From your childhood. Yes. But weren't there more losses in your life, more sad moments after that? There were. There were. There were.
1: Um, I wound up getting in a relationship with someone who was a, a drug addict. And so, like, I'm on my way, and then
0: I get involved with this
1: person who was a cocaine and alcohol addict.
0: Did you know when you met them? No. You said earlier. Yeah. You're around people that are doing drugs and alcohol, and you know everything that's going on, and you say to yourself, I'm not going to be that person. Correct. You go home every weekend to Mm -hmm. your mom. Mm -hmm. She's rarely sober. Yep. Now you meet somebody, and you can't tell whether they're having addiction or not? Nope. How is that possible? Because
1: they were beautiful. They were not falling down. They were functional. Everybody liked them. I just didn't know.
0: When did you find out?
1: Uh, About two years into it. Two years? Mm -hmm. Because it's progressive. They say alcoholism is progressive. And so she started getting worse and worse and worse and worse. While my professional life is like things are starting to go well. It's like two currents in my life. There's always like the external life and then what's really going on. And that wounded me in a way that I could never have anticipated.
0: How did you extricate yourself? Because
1: a friend of mine who's in show business, she was just like, what are you doing with this person? And she was just like, you got to get help. And I'm like, Why do I have to get help? She's drinking. She's, you know, maybe she'll grow out of it. She was like, you got to get help. And so I got help.
0: She wouldn't take the help.
1: No. And that was devastating.
0: Still with you.
1: It was devastating. But in the end, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because that's when everything in my life made sense. I was like, all I know is addict behavior. So even if it's dressed up, it's familiar. And I didn't think it was going to have any effect on me because, like, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker. People go, I'm going to drink. I'm like, I just, it's not my thing. I don't get high. So I thought kind of like if I did all these great external things, like, ah, see, I've you know, past that life. Because look at everything that I'm doing in a business that is incredibly difficult, to say the least. So as this person gets worse and worse and worse, it's really pulling me down. Do you give them an ultimatum? No, I got help. I'll just put it that way. I got help. And that's when I learned how to separate. And that's... I learned that so much of what I was taught by so many addicts what life was all about. And then I understood my ambition, because when you're around people who get high all the time and they go, let me tell you what life's all about. And they're checking out of reality. You probably don't want to be listening to those people. Right. Because they're spending very little time in reality. So I was like, the only way for me to up level my life from here is I have to learn some things from people who aren't addicts. And then my, like, my true nature started to come out, that I was this ambitious guy. Like, I could really find gratitude. Like, it was like I wasn't trapped between, like, an addict's way of seeing things and my true ambition. ambition. So I learned how to forgive those people not forget, but I learned how to forgive them. And that the most important thing with my life was like, where am I going? Who am I as a person? Which is really interesting because that connects with why I didn't want to stay in L.A. I just felt like there's something I need. I didn't say go home and get involved with an alcoholic drug addict. But that experience gave me myself in totality, if that makes sense.
0: So you experienced this gut punch And then in business after that, when did you get to the point where you looked in your bank account and there was that goal, six zeros? Right.
1: It wasn't all in cash. Some of it was in assets because I I started buying. I know. Okay.
0: When did you realize your goal? How old were you? I was like maybe 33
1: because I was the first one in my family to buy land and build a house.
0: And you did it again after you got beaten the shit out of you with real estate. You went into real estate again. Yes. So can
1: I just tell you this? Like, I have this this uh, philosophy. Failure is not really failure. You're just learning. Now, I had no one but my father around to teach me about money. But he was only passing on what he knew, which was for, for where I needed to go. I needed a whole nother financial education, right? So... Um, I started to financially educate myself. And the thing is, you know, and I've been so fortunate in so many ways because my ability to see patterns was just like, oh, this is how rich people handle their taxes. This is how you can use a a business to raise money. This is how you can help other people like you could win and I could. win. I just started to see this. It's very corny, but like this brotherhood of like how you could how I could be myself help other people, and, like, anybody who came in my circle could win. I was like, this is like a new life.
0: So how did you get to the next stage where you created the wealthy investor and you became the guy who had the tapes (laughs) and the network to teach people how to do things,
1: because a buddy of mine called. Now I'm in my new house on ten acres of land. I cried. I do a lot of crying, by the way, and I'm crying because I like I can't believe I had all these breakthroughs. Because I'm living on this huge parcel of land, and you know, a lot when you try to do something new, like build a house, people are like you're never gonna do that, because you know, fear is an easy. Fear takes no skill. Anybody can be afraid. You you don't have to, right? So I would get a lot of pushback. But anyway, long story... Oh, no, long story short, she said. But um, I'm crying in this house. Like, I can't... Because the house and the land symbolize so much. I was able to not hang out, you know, not be attracted to addicts anymore. And, like, I'm on this new path of, like, greatness. And I start to feel like now I'm the person who I felt like I always was, and now I have, like, momentum going. Safe. Safe. Yes. Very safe. And you just look up at the universe and go, this was a crazy ride. Thank you. So anyway, so I'm in my house, and a buddy of mine calls, and he goes, what are you doing? And I say, well, you know, I'm trading in the stock market. I love this life, I'm the whole thing. He goes, I'm in the seminar business. I'm like, what's a seminar business? He goes, we're like, you stand in front of 200 people and you teach them something. He goes, and I just keep thinking of you. I'm like, I'm not going to a no seminar business. I don't know. You know, that's not my... He goes, you just be great in front of people. You just have to learn the business. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. And then he goes, if you ever want to learn how to be in the seminar... Because he started a seminar business. He was just like, just call me back. I called him the next night. I was like... I think I'd be really good at this because it would be like working an audience. I, I could do it through comedy and I understood stock so well in layman's terms that I could motivate and explain to other people how this multi-billion dollar game works. And I knew I could do that. So he helped me write it like the first group and then how to market it and so forth. And Within uh, about two years, Extraordinary Ver- I have hundreds of people following me. Then the internet and speed and everything went well. He goes, you know, you would make millions of dollars if you brought your business online. So then I started going to workshops and seminars and all of that, right? Now, this all goes back to not being able to catch a football. Because here's what I realized is I will never be the best guy at anything. But if I try and apply a system, I'm going to get somewhere. I just have to learn the system. Just like when they throw you the ball, track the ball, keep your eyes open, catch it, pull it in, and then pivot and run. Like, that's a system. So when it came to building online businesses, if I could just learn the system, Barry, like, I would be in the millions. And that's what happened. And I'd be helping a lot of people because that's one thing my father used to say to me from age 16. He used to go, you got to help people in life. I was like, "Okay." He goes, no, it's really important that you help people. I was like, but we don't have anything. He goes, (laughs) because I used to say, how come we don't have anything? You're helping people get all this money. He was like, this is not about me. It's about helping other people. So I decided there's something to that. I want to help other people. And I want to do well simultaneously. And that's how that business became a multi-million dollar brand.
0: So that's where the wealthy investor came in. That's where the self-help network is coming from in your mind. That's where the Internet and Media Company came, the Hollywood Artist Group. Mm -hmm. All these things where you took the system and you just ran the system with a different genre.
1: Correct. And every business is about helping people.
0: And where do people find these things? things? The
1: same place where everybody finds everything, YouTube and Google. I learn how to market on YouTube and Google. And the emails that I get every single week are extraordinary. You get emails. Your show is extraordinary. They're extraordinary. I bet
0: you say that to all your podcasts. I do not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I do not. But I just want to say that, like, you know, My life to me has been amazing. I cannot believe what I get to do every single day. And it's because of gratitude. And I've went through so, you know, I've experienced so much crushing stuff. But I've learned to say thank you. And what is the lesson? And and someone once said to me once, which I never forgot. I know this is a little corny. She goes, oh, it's a big spiritual person. She goes, you're the wounded healer. And I was like, what? She goes, think about your whole life and how wounded you felt. And your need to help people helps them heal. And who would know better how to heal than someone who's been through it? And I was like, wow. Now, I'm not the only wounded
0: healer. There's millions of people like that. But that brings me a lot of comfort. So before we get to the last part of the podcast, Mm -hmm. I think our audience should understand and know about what you're doing now and what I discovered when I walked into this palatial place where you're doing great stuff. Mm -hmm. Tell our audience what the genesis was, what was the thought process and the idea behind the digital podcast network, and tell our audience how you executed the vision and now the steps you're taking and the shows that you have that are on the verge of just taking over.
1: Well, I realize that in the marketplace, right, everything is digital right now. And your phone is basically TV, not only for this generation, but for everybody coming behind you. And there's a lack of entertainment, like real quality entertainment for African-American and Latino audiences. So on the Digital Podcast Network, I called in a lot of favors to get the best comedians I could find and explain to them that if you had a podcast on a network and you participated financially in the... Success of that network, you would win, your audience would win, and we would win together as a team. But it's got to be
0: clean, right? So uh, why does it got to be clean?
1: Because I think that that's the best energies to have. You know, families listening to these shows without curse words or rude references and all that. There's just a place for clean in the in the comedy world, and um, some people say no. <laughs> Because they're like, I don't understand what this is, but I, you know, Mark Zuckerberg heard no before he invented Facebook, right? So I think I'm the digital podcast network is this trend where people don't mind paying a couple of bucks a month for great stories for people who sound like them and who reflect their ideas and and ethos, if you will. So what I realized was, hey, I can start several networks like that. Um, to educate, entertain, and help people, and that's what what I'm doing. And they're going to be really, really successful.
0: So the digital podcast network, you have the vision, Mm -hmm. but it costs money to open up this building and this studios. It costs money to hire people like Dean Edwards and have them come – all the way across the country to be here and put these shows together. What was it about this world besides just the general phrase of, hey, everything's in your phone now and people are looking for content? I think there's a little more you could share to our audience without giving away the keys to the kingdom of what it truly is that is a void that you feel you're going to... Fill with the digital podcast network. Okay,
1: So I get financed by Wall Street. I don't need a bank. Wall Street gives me the money to pursue
0: all of these things. But you make the decision what to trade and what to sell.
1: Yeah, but I've been doing it for 21 years. I've gotten kind of good
0: at it. But it's your mind. (laughs) You say Wall Street does it, but you put hours and hours into figuring out what to do. In your phone, every time you look at it, the numbers are going by. yes. And you're wondering what you should do with each asset. Yeah, it's not really that hard. But but because I'm just. If it wasn't that hard, wouldn't everyone be doing it?
1: Well, the reason my business is so successful is because I totally demystify Wall Street. I'm like, forget everything you think you know. Let me explain to you how the game is played. But we're going to keep it really simple. I teach from the Sesame Street version. I go, let me show you what makes a stock go up 90% of the time. And my students go, you're really smart. I'm not really smart. I've just been doing it for 21 years. If I have any talent, is it explaining it to you?
0: But wouldn't it stand the reason then that everyone would be making money in the stock that's market? That's
1: what I'm trying to get everyone to do, to realize that if you can count to 10, you could be rich. And people go, ha, 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 that's really funny. I'm like, cool. Give me 20 minutes to explain to you how this works. It's not that hard. And that's why my students say, you've changed my life and, you know, all these wonderful things I hear on a consistent basis. I'm like, well, you have the ability to count to 10. It's just no one explained it to you in a way that makes sense with some comedy thrown in. So you're not intimidated and you go, wow, I could be a trader. And I go, yeah.
0: All right. What do you do when you have a slump and things aren't hitting? What's the worst thing that happened to you on Wall Street? So
1: here's how it works, Barry. Not every lesson is hard. Some lessons are soft. I lost, the first time I lost uh, substantial money, well, substantial, I lost 50 grand in 30 days. Because it was a pullback in the market.
0: Tell our audience what a pullback in the market is. A pullback
1: is when all of the stocks that you own radically go down. (laughs) And you log in, you go
0: where, what happened to all, to all the money I had? And it happens in twenty-four hours. Yeah,
1: and it can it, it can happen. Generally, it happens over a period of time: seven days, three weeks. And it could be a geopolitical event that causes the market to pull back. It'd be something a tweet these days that the president makes. There are we call them on Wall Street catalysts. There are a lot of catalysts that make that happen. But when that happens, as it turns out, and you're not going to like this because it's going to sound terribly optimistic, certain people get rich in a pullback. So I remember deciding, like, I need to learn how to make substantial money when, par- when stocks pull back. And anybody who follows me at The Wealthy Investor knows it's all about the bear call spread. When I discovered the bear call spread, I'm like, that trade allows you to make incredible sums of money while non-dividend paying stocks are all being sold off. I was like, well, this can't be that hard. I just need to learn. There's a system, right? Like the football, right? Keep your eyes open when they, when Jade puts up the football, look at it, pull it in, pivot, turn, and run towards the end zone.
0: So, what you're saying is the stock market is the only business mm-hmm. or one of the few businesses in the world where, in any way, when things are going down or up, mm-hmm. you can still make money.
1: Yes, it's just a system. No one ever showed it to you. So, it seems like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Because most people were never financially educated. I was never financially educated. But when I discovered the bear call spread, I was like, done. I just need to get good at this particular trait. And I teach my students. And they go, this is incredible. I'm like, it is incredible. It's not gambling. It's just Wall Street. And by the way, when stocks are going down, you don't go on TV or radio and go, do you know how well I did? That's not like a cool thing to do. But if you're a student of the market, you learn how to trade. It's just a trade. But no one ever showed us how to do it, so it's mystical. and.
0: So let's pretend, if we will, let's say one of my assistants out there, yes. let's say Aaron and Aileen are out there. Yes. One of them mm-hmm. comes up to you yep. and they say, an aunt just gave me $25,000, yes. and why don't we just do an experiment And I'll give you the $25,000 and you do whatever you want with it, however you do it. And in, let's say, 90 days on average, what would somebody with your knowledge make out of the $25,000. 1st of all, I
1: wouldn't take the 25000 because I don't
0: manage people's money.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm I just saying, them. let's pretend it was... The first thing I would say is take one third of it and put it in Dow Jones Industrial Stocks. What are those? Oh, let me teach you what the Dow is. Second thing you're going to do is you're going to focus on selling cover calls on Dow stocks. What's cover calls? Oh, it's selling rights to stock where you get guaranteed income on a weekly basis. How does that work? Oh, well, that's interesting that you met. And then I would tell them a story. And that story would allow them to click... Make money, and as it says on the back of the head and shoulders bottle, wash, rinse, and repeat. <laughs> Don't try to get rich, just do this one trade over
0: and over and I over. I think again. it's rinse, lather, repeat.
1: Oh, is it rinse, lather? All these years it's been in my act, I've been saying wash, rinse, and repeat.
0: Well, you closed your eyes when you're when too, you <laughs> just focused, like the football. And the
1: football in. See, I learned something today. So they would perfect that system. Get a couple of dividend checks and go, oh, my God, Tyrone, this is incredible. I was like, yeah. Do you want to go to the next level now and make even more money now that you've got the basics down?
0: All right. So my assistants do your system. Mm-hmm. They had their $25,000. Yep. In three months, on average, of all the people you've taught, mm-hmm. what would they have? Two to five percent per month. Got it. Two to five yeah, percent per and
1: month. Yeah. Professional guys don't like it when I say that. Why don't they like that, because they help people make seven percent a year, and I'm like, not if you're a cover call writer.
0: well, it seems like a lot of work to make two percent or five percent on your money It's the same boring trade. it's cover call writing
1: in and out of the money that's that's it. It's rents lather and repeat. <laughs>
0: But after a year these poor young people they're twenty five thousand dollars first of
1: all they won't be poor.
0: They probably (laughs) only make an extra thousand dollars at the end of the year.
1: No, they're getting two to their goal is I'm gonna teach them how to get two to five percent on their money. So ten percent of twenty five thousand dollars is twenty five hundred dollars. So if they're making twelve hundred dollars a month, that's fifteen thousand dollars a year. Well, you said 2%, 2 to 5, it depends on market volatility. But I'm not going to take their money. I'm like, this is what you click on, this is what you trade. You can follow my trades. This is what I like to trade. And in that trading, I realized that that is a source of financing. So if I pick the right business, literally the
0: stock market gives me money to start a business. But the digital podcast network cost a lot of money to rent the space to get all this equipment to...
1: Well, first of all, I own the space. So that cut down on, <laughs>
0: I just bought it. You own the building.
1: No, I don't own the building. I own the business.
0: Well, yeah, you own the business. Yes. But it takes money to run the business. Yes, but
1: then there are streams connected to the business that you don't see that make it run. We just don't make our money off of, you know, commercials.
0: You're like a cryptic
1: sage. (laughs) I'm not a cryptic sage. It's just like when you learn how to think, okay, so check this out. This is why a lot of people fail (laughs) in business, right? First of all, they pick the wrong business. I pick businesses where I can have three employees and the business can make millions. So like that would be like the first rule. The second rule is that I learn in connection to spiritual abundance is every business must have multiple revenue streams.
0: Okay. Right? Yeah.
1: So that if my my employees are not going to like if I say this, but- So if everybody in this business left tomorrow, it would still make money because there's streams connected to this
0: business. Mailbox money. There you go.
1: So I learned from commercials that everything I do is about residual income. If something happened to me, the business is still making money. If something happened to my main employee, the business is still making money. Right? Right. So that I just add on essentially streams to the business. To a lot of people, that sounds really magical, like, oh, around. It's just a—so success, which I learned along the way, is a series of positive habits. And if you duplicate those habits over and over, you're going to get extraordinary results. And as I'm saying this, you know what I just realized? Look at who I'm talking to. You manage the most successful comedians in the world. You're obviously engaged in some kind of system— That has proven itself. What do you see? I want to see what you see.
0: But the difference is when you manage artists and you see something in those artists, part of the negativity of it is you're just a parasite. You just have a function to help them be streamlined and get to where they need to go in the best and least stressful way. As I love to say, don't spook the thoroughbred. So I'm just the bird on the back of the hippo's back that keeps them all together, focused, not worried about anything, and getting to where the hippo wants to go. And for my services, I garner 10% of whatever the gross amount of money is. But I don't consider that something where I'm relying on me. I don't have an ownership of that person. That person can decide to change managers or agents or anybody anytime they want. And I'm just a person who really works hard with their talent and mind to help them get to where they want to go. And the better I do, I'm incentivized because I make more money if they make more money. That's what makes you a genius.
1: Anybody who's brilliant always says, all I do is Only a brilliant person says that. But that's not all you do. I'll learn over time what it is you do, but trust me, that's not all you do. But the most brilliant people on the planet can explain to you in very simple terms what they do. Every genius does that. All I do is create a thing called Facebook so people can, all I do is create software. All I do, what is Oprah? All I do, I just sit down and I talk to people and get truth. Every person who's brilliant that I have studied all say all I do is. But there's a system there.
0: From the moment I met you, Mm -hmm. I walked out of this place and I said, this guy has skill sets that I don't utilize and I don't have. I went my whole career utilizing other skill sets to help drive those rocks up the hill. And sure, it worked out great. And I've had some amazing moments, and there's been wonderful things that have happened. Mm-hmm. But when I got in my car, I was like, Jesus, man, you didn't explore those skill sets. And you stayed in this lane of skill sets. Felt like I was wearing clown shoes when I walked out oh, because I saw you doing things that, yes, there are systems that you do here that I've done and I do but there's a ton of other things that I don't and that's why I loved being around you because it was almost like the symbiotic thing even though I felt when I left like oh, god so much more that that I can do I realized halfway home that there was a possibility that you were driving home saying "Huh." God, that guy's skill sets. I wish I could.
1: Do. I, it, it was the same thing because we were in a recording session. You kept tapping me, going, "I'm so proud of you." I'm like, "Well, thank you." And you're like, "No, no, 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 no." Did you conceptualize all? That? I was like, "Yeah." You're like, "I'm so proud of you." And I was like, "Barry, I'm supposed to be. I'm the producer. I'm supposed to be paying attention. Stay for lunch." But I felt the same thing about you. Now I didn't know who you were, but and this is my other thing. I think is so um, important. I think kindness goes a long way. Being kind to people is like the biggest business skill that's overlooked, right? And you were so kind to me, you felt energetically like me. And I was like, who is this guy? And I th- since learned who you were. And I was like, I got to study with him.
0: <laughs> and I thought to myself, I got to <laughs> study with you. I was like,
1: I got to, don't even, don't talk a lot. Like, listen to him, right? So uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled that I'm here. Um, you are just so nice to me and say such wonderful things. And I just, so, I just so appreciate that. And I'm just looking forward to learning.
0: Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. One, uno, uno, two, 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 three, three, three four, four, four six, five, eight, five, five, six, six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay, Tell me the first thing that comes to mind, even if it's a small little thing, so we can keep it moving. Kind of okay. like a speed round. The Screen Actors Guild. Your claim to fame in it.
1: My claim to fame?
0: Uh, I was the only black
1: guy in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody thought I was smart.
0: You were the youngest person, right? I was in New York, yeah. Yeah. Meryl Streep. An incredible
1: day with her. Just watching her work. And I it wasn't that complicated, but she was just she was also very nice. And
0: that I love that day. Marlon Wayans. Who the hell is this guy? He's got a lot of energy.
1: Sometimes he's funny and sometimes he's just over the top. That was just from seeing him in the hallways.
0: Divorce.
1: Painful. 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 And instead of getting a divorce, I looked at it like I was moving towards something greater. Let me see what else is out there for me.
0: Larry David.
1: That's the guy from the laundry room. (laughs) (laughs) Like, who is he? I keep seeing him in the
0: laundry room. That's all I knew. Morgan Freeman.
1: (laughs) One of my favorites, brilliant actor. And if I run into him today, he he will never be the guy who's like, Tyrone, good to see you. He's just like, oh, no, what are you doing here? I'm like, can I catch a break after 30? Can we just say,
0: how you been? Morgan Freeman. Jerry Seinfeld.
1: What's the deal with this guy? This is one of my most embarrassing show business moments. I'm in the elevator. I i don't know how he... Oh No, we got in the elevator together at Manhattan Plaza. And I seen him on Letterman and all this. I think it's just because I guess they were planning the show at the time. I live in Manhattan Plaza. And... Like, if, you, if you've never been a show I'm just going to get everybody advice. I start doing Jerry's act in front of him. <laughs> like, I had memorized some of his jokes because I really loved him. And I'm like, uh, what a woman really needs when they say blah, blah, blah. And I'm doing this intonation. And he just looks at me and goes, ah, funny. And he gets off on the fifth floor. <laughs> and then I'm on the sixth floor and I was like, I probably shouldn't do that if I see a comedian. Like, don't don't do his act for him. Yeah. And then I realized, like, I think I'm an idiot. And then I realized, don't be so hard on yourself.
0: Jennifer Aniston.
1: I remember when she started smoking in high school. Because I was like, why does that cute girl smoke? Like, why? She's like a sophomore. Why does she have a cigarette in her hand?
0: Helping other people while being kind makes your blessings multiply
1: that would be me. That's what I do in my life. I help other people. I give opportunity now to other people so that anybody who comes into my world has their blessings multiply.
0: Who makes your blessings multiply? <sighs>
1: I think just amazing people I meet along the way. I'm just blown away by who I have the privilege to meet. And it happens with frequency. And I'm I'm blown away that this kid who experienced so much pain is out in the world meeting extraordinary people. Because I have met people who've been through... Stuff like me and more. And sometimes they don't make it out. And for whatever reason, I have. And as they say in Hamilton, I'm not throwing away my shot.
0: (laughs) Your proudest moment in show business.
1: Oh, my proudest moment in show business. Well, there have been many. But there's nothing like conceptualizing something and watching it become real like we were doing promos today for the digital podcast network and like i was like i said to the engineer brian i said i have some ideas of how we should promote the show and so um dean and i are in the studio and i was dean edwards yeah dean edwards and i was like dean i'm gonna do this as the announcer and you come in and you do tracy morgan and you do denzel and it was mixed today and it's just brilliant (laughs) like how lucky am I to conceptualize something and like millions of people are going to hear these promos that we made up on the fly.
0: First Amendment. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level.
1: 13 times for the Cosby show? Are you kidding me? You walk in and the producer's like, hey, you're back again. You're like, uh, yeah. (laughs) And then I realized, because that was a dream, right, to be on the Cosby show. It was just like, go get some other dreams. It didn't work out. Go get some other dreams.
0: Lastly, what advice do you have for the young person growing up in a extremely unsafe, difficult, tough, gut-wrenching environment where it's hopeless, helpless. There seems like there's no way out. You're almost being abused mentally and physically and, you have no clear-cut stability. What advice would you have for people out there to cut through it all and take the steps necessary to have the kind of extraordinary career that you're having? Get a notebook and a
1: pen and write down your dreams. Write them all down because there is a way. There is a way. Keep writing your dreams down. Focus on them on a daily basis, and the right people will show up in your life and pray and meditate. Because if you maintain a connection with the universe, the universe will help all of those things actually manifest. Focus is everything. Whatever you focus on expands and grows. But there is a way. And this is whatever they're experiencing, it's just today. It's just today. Tomorrow can be radically different. You have to believe in yourself that we all have a purpose and you never know where you're going to be guided. But your dream book or your vision board is kind of like your roadmap. So if you want to get somewhere, right, some of us go to Google Maps these days or we open up a map. and go. I'm trying to get there. What connections? You don't have to worry about the connections. You just have to write down where you want to be. Now, where you want to be might be a little hard to get there. Oh, and more people are going to tell you it's impossible because most people live in fear. Fear is not a skill. A six-year-old can feel fear, right? The skill is learning how to connect the dots between where you want to be and where you are now. It's like going to the gym. If you strengthen that muscle and stay around, try to find other people who are also dreamers because that's your tribe, right? And and it won't seem quite as hard. There's a lot more to it. But essentially, if you can just take that for today, that's the, that's the golden nugget.
0: Awesome. Tyrone, this has been incredible. I'm so, so incredibly honored that you did this with me. And oh, Thank you. I, Are you I'm kidding really, me? really proud of this episode. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to tell my story.
0: Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions or else if they're out of town, out of state or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Cool PR Maven. May 15, 2019. Heading reads, every episode's a winner, five stars. The comment reads, Barry has a sense of curiosity that benefits the listener. He drills deep and unearths insights, info, and perspective not found elsewhere. Plus, he clearly has a vast Rolodex because his guests run deep, from headliners to producers and more. My faves are his interviews with comedians, and when I die, I want Barry to write my obituary because his introductions put federal dossiers to shame. Pick an interview with someone you admire and it will be the best podcast listening experience ever. Wow. Thank you so much, cool PR maven. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com. Type in the promo code Barry and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Lorraine Newman. Read, read, read and see as much as you can of things that you like so that you can start from there because you have to be original or you really don't have a chance. So as long as you know what's come before, then you can make that leap and offer something that nobody's ever seen. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out! Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamer
1: stay they have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison down in the
0: valley a fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.